Are drug companies charging Americans more than other countries? Can a new rule help alleviate the gap without hurting pharmaceuticals? Lots of questions, must learn more. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Thank you for being here. It's always a pleasure to have this time with you. Our topic today is about the expense of medications. Specifically, we're going to be talking about how we as the taxpayers pay for drugs through Medicare. And apparently, there's a new rule out there designed to lower the cost, but there's some concerns that it might be too drastic. So to help us figure this out, we welcome our guest, Leah Dorora Richardson from the law firm of K&L Gates. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Absolutely. No, thank you for joining us. So, Leah, let me set up our first question here with just a little bit of background. And so, you know, we have an outgoing Trump administration, and one of the pet peeves of that administration was the idea that the American taxpayer was paying more for the same drugs than was being charged to other countries. And so, as I understand it, there was an executive order given, and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services put forth this most favored nation interim rule. And we're going to get into the details of that later. So I wanted to use this as a lead into my first question because I, in my research, Leah, I saw a couple of different sources on this. So I saw the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services put out a figure, and I also saw the Ways and Means Committee put out a figure. So just in terms of drugs for Medicare Part B, how much more does the United States actually pay when you compare it to other nations? So obviously, you know, it'll vary according to what drug we're talking about and what country is purchasing. But according to CMS commentary in that most favored nation final rule, where CMS cites multiple reports that was published by HHS, which is its parent agency, Medicare pays substantially more and in many instances, more than double what countries pay for the same drugs that are reimbursed under Part B. So this is, and we're talking about Part B reimbursable drugs, which are generally physician-administered drugs in a clinic, as opposed to Medicare Part D drugs, which are the drugs that you buy at a retail counter, like CVS or Walgreens. Well, let's talk about this most favored nation interim rule. And so as I understand it, there's uh, kind of a couple of different price indexes uh, at play here. And so basically, this is the federal government saying, hey, we're a big buyer and we know that other nations pay less for these drugs. So what we're going to do is we're going to average what those nations like that are similar to us pay. And we're going to use that as the new cost model. And so as I understand it, they're going to use this new average cost model from the other nations and slowly dilute that into the current cost model, which is sort of the average sales price. And so let's talk about that. So talk about how this new rule came to be. So kind of uh, the history of it. And then can you walk us through that chart that sort of explains how this is all phased in? Sure. So currently, you know, Part B drugs are paid under an ASP plus model. So average sales price plus a certain percentage, depending on what type of provider you are, what setting you're in. So the new MFN cost model, which is mandatory and nationwide, you know, it's seeking to test whether closely aligning payment for Part B drugs, which again are physician administered with international pricing will remove incentives to prescribe those higher cost drugs and in turn control unsustainable growth in Part B drug spending without adversely affecting quality of care for Medicare beneficiaries. And that is one of the things that folks are most concerned about here. So rather than reimbursing based on manufacturer's ASP, 
plus an add-on. Medicare is going to base reimbursement under this model on the lowest adjusted international price, which they call the MSN price for the drug, which is based on the lowest GDP adjusted price paid by certain countries on a list. And those countries are chosen based on their purchasing power parity with the U.S. So CMS is intending that this price will be phased in over the first four years of the seven-year model, which was supposed to begin on January 1, 2021, by blending this MFN price with the ASP and phasing the MFN price 25% per year over the years one through four. So for example, in year one, the phasing calculation would use 25% of the MFN price that they've calculated and 75% of the ASP price. So it's weighted. So they would phase that in 25% a year. And then in years four through seven, the price would be 100% of the MFN price. And the CMS noted that it would accelerate that blended formula in years one through four for certain drugs if the U.S. price rises faster than inflation and the MFN price. So in addition to the MFN price, CMS is going to pay a flat payment per dose that is uniform for all drugs in the MFN model. So there's a separate formula that is explained in the rule, how they've calculated that, but the initial per dose add-on is $148.73 per dose. You said the drugs participating in the new model. And as I read it, I wasn't entirely clear which drugs are included versus which ones are not. Right. So the model is intended to just encompass physician-administered drugs that constitute a high percentage of Medicare Part B drug spending for each performance year. So for the initial year, CMS identified the top 50 drugs by HICS-PICS code with the highest aggregate 2019 Part B total allowed charges. So in other words, what are the 50 drugs that CMS spent the most money on? So the MFN rule outlines those initial 50 drugs, and this list includes oncolytics, immunosuppressants, anti-inflammatories, and generally high-cost specialty drugs. And you know, they've excluded certain categories of drugs, such as certain vaccines, radiopharmaceuticals, oral drugs, compounded drugs, et cetera. And then every year, CMS will use the subsequent calendar year as a baseline and will add drugs to that list. So the list, the 50 initial drugs are outlined in the rules. One more quick follow-up. I just wanted to clarify this. Now, as I understand it, uh, you know, CMS put this into place. Now, this is just sort of a an experiment. And if it impacts significantly the delivery of pharmaceuticals, then it's a cost model that'll probably be phased out. But if it's successful in lowering the cost without having that impact, it's probably one that might be permanently uh, implemented. Is that correct? Um, yeah. I mean, the point of the MFN rule is to decrease Medicare Part B spending on drug costs but to not adversely impact Medicare beneficiaries and the drugs that they're receiving. And that is, I mean, one of the main concerns with this rule is that physicians, groups, and and other providers that purchase these drugs will not be able to, you know, continue administering the drugs in their clinic because it is cost prohibitive, because they may have to end up taking a loss on those drugs. What CMS is thinking is that this reimbursement model will incentivize providers to prescribe an equivalent but cheaper drug. 
But, you know, depending on the drug, there may not be another, uh, an equivalent, a generic or, or a different branded drug that's cheaper. So CMS is intended to not adversely affect beneficiaries, but whether they will be affected kind of remains to be seen. Well, I'm going to put my taxpayer hat on for a second. And so, you know, just on the outset, sounds good to me to try to come up with a mechanism that lowers the overall cost, especially when you're talking about uh, medications that, you know, can be very expensive, especially for seniors. And so, but also I want to make sure that we have a system in place that is able to provide those high quality medications so that we can actually, you know, succeed in our fight against disease. So, you know, I definitely think there's a balancing act there. But as I understand also, uh, there are a few entities out there, some pharmaceuticals that have have brought some cases to bear here. So two federal cases, and it slowed down the implementation of this rule. So can you just briefly walk us through that? You know, tell us about the parties, the reasons that they sued, and then just kind of where things are with those cases today. Sure. So on December 4th, 2020, the Pharmaceutical Research and Manufacturers of America, or Pharma, which is a trade association that represents pharmaceutical manufacturers, along with the Association of Community Cancer Centers, the Global Colon Cancer Association, and the National Infusion Center Association, filed a complaint in the U.S. District Court in the District of Maryland seeking to enjoin enforcement of this rule, arguing that the rule exceeds CMS's demonstration authority, that the rule violates the Administrative Procedure Act by failing to provide notice and opportunity for public comments, and other constitutional arguments. On the same day, California Life Sciences Association, Biocom California, and Biotechnology Innovation Organization, which goes by the the acronym BIO, filed a similar case in the District Court of the Northern District of California, also requesting a preliminary and permanent injunction prohibiting CMS from implementing the rule on similar grounds as in the pharma case. So on December 23rd, in the pharma case, Judge Catherine Blake in the District of Maryland granted pharma a 14-day nationwide temporary restraining order to prevent CMS from implementing this rule, basically finding that CMS had not justified its invocation of the good cause exception that would have permitted it to bypass notice and comment procedures under the APA. And then on December 28th, In the Northern District of California, Judge Chabria granted a preliminary injunction also prohibiting CMS from implementing the rule, largely deferring to the analysis in Judge Blake's order. But in Judge Chabria's order, he vacated the rule in its entirety pending completion of the notice and comment process. So that was a surprise, but a good surprise for providers. Well, Leah, one of the things I was curious about uh, when I was reading the articles and doing my research on this, you know, you've got a couple of lawsuits here and we're talking about rates and we're talking about companies that they fear that if they don't get reimbursed to a certain amount, that they won't be able to do business as usual. So I was wondering, because I didn't see it in the research, did anybody bring up the notion of like loss leader? And and by that, what I mean... um, Sometimes we go out to bars, you know, when bars were open and uh, there might be a drink special that night. And, you know, the bars know that they're going to take a loss on that drink, but the thought being is they're going to make it up in other areas. So maybe they sell more food, maybe they sell more of a different drink that people prefer. But uh, I was just wondering if anybody had made sort of a a settlement offer saying like, hey, federal government, uh, we can't meet you 
all the way on those new rates. But what we can do is increase our costs here. Maybe we can meet you halfway on these new rates. Was there any talk about that as far as you know? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. Largely, the government and more particularly HHS and CMS do not have the authority to manage and dictate the prices of drugs sold from the manufacturers to countries directly, whether it's our country or to an international country or to the wholesalers. That authority is limited. What they do have the authority to do, however, is to control the reimbursement that they provide to providers, healthcare providers that are administering these drugs. And so that's why the rule is structured the way that it is, because that is the authority that they have is over reimbursement rates. Okay, last question for you. I'm going to take off my taxpayer hat. I'm going to put on my prediction hat. So in terms of uh, going forward, you know, we we're changing administrations in the White House. And so with an outgoing Trump administration and an incoming Biden administration, where do you think the resolution of this will land in terms of these cases and this new interim rule? A great question. And I think everyone in this space is curious and anxiously anticipating what the Biden administration will do with this rule. The administration could appeal the California ruling or HHS could move forward with the notice and comment period and implement the rule with little change. Alternatively, the administration could pull back the rule completely or significantly modify the rule and reissue under a traditional notice and comment procedures. There's a lot of choices and paths that the Biden administration can take, and they have not been forthcoming in terms of what they plan to do. I don't think anyone would argue with the proposition that Medicare Part B drug spending has ballooned and outpaced inflation and is putting a lot of stress on the Medicare system generally. But there is a lot of debate as to whether this particular rule is the correct solution, meaning making the healthcare providers that administer these drugs solely responsible for bearing the brunt of the solution. Well, Leigh, I enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks. And thank you listeners for tuning in. Without you, there's no show and that's no fun. If you like what you heard, do us a favor and leave a rating in your favorite podcasting app. Also, some comments helps the show climb the ranks. And I got a couple of hat tips to make here. The National Law Review, KNL Gates, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and House Ways and Means Committee. They all put up some great online articles and I'll put links to those in our show notes. If you want to read for yourself, you can. And lastly, but certainly not least, I want to thank our team producer, Molly McDonough. She's fantastic. And our LTA crew, they are epic. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody.